0: Free people will never remain free, if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise our and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James. And of course, tonight is Christmas Eve. I already did a show about December 25th not being the true birthday of Yahshua. That was last night on Yahweh's Covenant People. And tonight I'm going to continue the message that Christmas is not, actually it isn't a Christian holiday at all, (laughs) but uh, at the same time I want to encourage us to motivate Christians who do practice Christmas to find out who's behind the uh, Grinch movement, uh, the demolition of Christmas as a Christian holiday, Uh, even though we in Identity don't practice it, and there's many others outside of uh, the Catholic Church who don't practice it, uh, nevertheless, they have no idea why and who is behind the demolition of Christmas, who that Grinch is, and of course we know that Grinch is a J-E-W, and with a, a big old red hook nose. Okay? And uh, that uh, we need to you know, approach this subject w- with a little bit of caution when we're talking with Catholics and other Christians who have been practicing Christians. For, for example, most of us in identity were not always identity practitioners. It took us a while to understand what it's all about. And so rather than bashing, uh, you know, we don't, don't want to make uh, our hearers believe that we hate Christ. They're going to assume that, that we hate Christ or we hate Yeshua when we say we don't, just say we don't believe in Christmas. There's a lot of reasons for it, but it's not because we don't accept Jesus Christ as the Savior of our people, we can put it that way, all right, so, you know, it's just a matter of being, uh, what's uh, circumspect about how we address this issue, because we do not want to make them feel any worse about the fact that they're losing Christmas, you know, uh, we, we want the Jews to, to lose uh, their power and control over the world, so and we want those Catholics and other Christians to know that it's the Jews behind the demolition of Christmas. So I'm going to read from uh, an article way back in 1994 about the, the materialism of, Christ, of Christmas and how it really is a uh, an up-for-grabs institution that, you know, the... the the people who practice it have descended into materialism, whether they realize it or not. So this is an article, The True Christmas Spirit is Orgiastic Materialism, from the Reformation messenger, and this dates back to 1994. And then after, this is a short article, and after this I'll be reading from a letter that Arnold Kennedy wrote to his local uh, church, I believe while he was in New Zealand, not Australia. He moved from Australia to New Zealand at some point. uh, But this is not, I could not find this in any of the Kennedy archives, and there are several archives of Arnold Kennedy's work on the Internet. And uh, he he wrote a lot of articles and one full-fledged book And it says this in this article. Again, this is the true Christmas spirit is orgiastic materialism. And the article says, again, it's by the Reformation messenger. Old pagan festival marking winter solstice predates Christianity. This article appeared in the Toronto Star, December 1993. This, as every Christmas season, we all can expect to hear the sermon the one about remembering amidst all the consumerism and demands for cartoon celebrity-endorsed products, the quote-unquote true meaning of Christmas. Usually this supposes that Christmas has something to do with Christianity, in its origins or as a moral creed. It supposes conspicuous consumption is a modern gloss. It supposes, even if denominational, that Christmas has to do with peace on earth and goodwill toward all persons. Not so. The Romans, at Saturnalia, already exchanged presents. In medieval England, Yule was a drunken revel. The face of the Father Christmas was ruddy less from the coal than from the contents of the wassail bow. I think it means bowl. <laughs> There's a lot of typos in this already. The date, December 25th, bears no relation to the biography of Jesus, the time and season of whose birth are unknown. We covered that yesterday, and we established it as right around uh, September 29, 2 BC. It became the Christ's birth in the 4th century because it already was celebrated as the birth of the sun, Natus Solus Invictus. It was, in brief, according to the Julian calendar, the night of the winter solstice, the time of darkness's triumph, but also the moment from which to date the regrowth of the Child Weekday. It's a Child-Week, W-E-A-K, that's probably also a typo, probably means to spell it W-E-E-K, Child Weekday. The Eastern calendar placed the solstice on January 6th. Accordingly, that day was Christmas. The two traditions finally were reconciled by inventing the Feast of Epiphany. At first, there was much resistance. Many denounced the new holiday as thinly disguised sun worship. As late as 1647, Christmas was banned by Britain's Puritan Parliament as pagan. The ban was so effective in Calvinist Scotland as to transfer all the pagan magic of Christmas to New Year's Eve. Hegemony even to this day. Okay, hold on. I have to scroll down here. While the celebration of the solstice is universal, it is most vigorous in the northern lands where the darkness and cold of winter are renounced or pronounced. The uh, venerable Bede saw the Angli exchange gifts on December 25th, well before Christianization. Dragging home an evergreen to mark the solstice is an ancient custom in Japan. And what of that mysterious figure, Santa Claus, who dominates the holiday festivities as Jesus never has? We know the official story. He is a folklorized Saint Nicholas. But this is an evasion. We know of this Nicholas not, but that he was bishop of a town in 4th century Asia Minor. How does he gain such prominence? How does he wear a red suit? (laughs) Where'd that come from? There is no certainty in such matters, but early on it seems likely there developed a confusion of this worthy with a Northern European of similar title. He appears in common folklore and in such early writings as Beowulf. Now Nick, now Nickel, now Nicker, N-I-K-K-E-R. He is said to be a demon, or the evil spirit of the North, or the name of Odin as the evil principle, Descriptions show him, when humanoid, as an aged creature with a flowing white beard. By the 16th century, the term had become more specific. Christianized Old Nick, or even St. Nicholas, meant the devil proper. That jolly old elf we love hides such a character flaw. <laughs> Should not surprise. It is common to mute the terror of the supernatural by euphemism. The bloody furies of Greek mythology were commonly worshipped as the bountiful ones. As long ago as Isaiah, the devil's throne was in the North Sea, or the North rather, see Isaiah fourteen thirteen. The devil is prince of darkness, as Jesus is the reborn light. Thus Satan presides over the winter dark. It is he who holds power on midwinter night, even if it implies his eventual overthrow. It is he who must be propitiated and not trifled with by too much attention to his successor, (laughs) right? All right, well, the devil must be angry because, man, it's a frigid Christmas with people stranded at airports everywhere. Maybe his followers haven't been paying enough attention to their materialism, or maybe he's just uh, dangling strings, uh, pulling their chain, making them fret and worry about whether or not they'll actually have a Christmas celebration. We'll see. It's got to be a a horrible Christmas holiday for those who practice it. Although much tradition places hell underground, eloquent voices have put it in the far north, including St. Bonaventure and the oldest morality plays. Many put it at the North Pole, Oh, you know, there might be an opening up there. Into the underworld. Others argue, there certainly is in in Antarctica. Others argue for Iceland or Lapland. The latter party holds that the devil drives a team of reindeer. (laughs) Oh, no. Too many coincidences here. He is often covered in red fur, as in both Santa and his German predecessor, Pelznickel, or the furry devil. If Lucifer is often black with soot, it is from climbing down chimneys attracted by his element below. If he carries a sack, it is not for party favors, but for the abduction of bad little girls and boys. Now, shall we bring up the, uh, the abduction of little girls and boys by Jews in the Middle Ages? Or even today? Dutch children still fear such kidnappings. Food and wine, if not wine, if not milk and cookies, are left out f- for his debauched pleasure as a bribe to leave the house in peace. All this may be a memory of blood sacrifice to Kronos, Wotan, and Saturn, all of whom presided over the feast. Often a child was slaughtered, a decoy for the newborn son. Is it significant that St. Nicholas is symbolized by three severed children's heads? I've never seen that. I'm not uh, familiar with that idea. Anyway, so there you have it. Christmas is the pagan festival of the birth of the sun. Its deepest original meaning is an orgiastic materialism. And boy, do we have orgiastic materialism today. And that's uh, 369 days a year. And Santa Claus is the devil himself. And this article was written by Stephen Rooney from Toronto. Okay. So let's get to the writing here of... Hold on. I have to get back into the chat room real quick. Sorry. The, the writings of Arnold Kennedy who, of course, is a Christian, <laughs> yeah, the Grinch, yeah, the Grinch, thank you, Mr. Smith. Definitely the Grinch with a red suit instead of a green suit, okay. Probably that green Grinch is more of, oh, what's that, the green man, the green man, The uh, probably the same idea, the green man being uh, nature worship with all of its debauchery, okay, Pretty much the same idea. I'll bet the green man, the Grinch, and St. Nick are all the same character, except uh, St. Nick wears a red suit instead of a green one. So here is what... (laughs) Yeah, right, so the Grinch is a true story. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right, here is the writing of Arnold Kennedy on this subject. This is a different... Xmas, he uses the word X, he doesn't use Christ, Xmas message, quote, we should roast Rudolph, take the clappers out of jingle bells, and bury Santa Claus. Arnold Kennedy, even a very brief search of the history books of various nations and peoples shows that many had a midwinter festival embodying all the customs of the modern Christmas, such as feasting, drunken revelry, sexual excess, burning a log, decorating a tree, giving gifts, etc. And it was always done in conjunction with the ancient religious pagan customs. When we look further into the particular day, the 25th of December, some more rather strange things are discovered. First, Christians observed no such day as the birthday of Jesus during the lives of the disciples or those that followed immediately after them. And this was true for actually several hundred years. Probably when Constantine merged Christianity with European paganism, it took even then it took quite a while for these traditions to merge together and we have really no idea how long it took, but it was obviously an attempt to placate the pagans of Rome, of the Roman Empire, and the Christians really didn't have much choice. I'm not aware of much, uh, you know, uh, disputation over this in those days. But let's continue. Second, no one has ever come forward with even one verse of Scripture admonishing believers to observe any such celebration of the birthday of Christ, nor is there any both any, nor is there any. Both old and new scriptures give no instructions about the communion service. Oh sorry, instructions about celebrating Jesus' birthday. More than that, Christians are told to remember the death of Jesus Christ in the communion service, never his birth. So then there is no right place for any. Come, let us adore him by the come all ye faithful in the sense of a Christmas festivity. Third, the description of Jesus' birth birth night tells of a time to be taxed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it? Black Thursday is the day that all the merchants finally make a profit thanks to all the Christians who throw their money away, get in debt with their uh, credit cards and debit cards to buy stuff that nobody needs, right? Pretty sad, really. Okay. So he continues. All right, a time to be taxed of shepherds in the field with their flocks at night, and the city of Bethlehem full of travelers. No room for them in the inn, Luke 2, 1, 8, through 8 Common sense and custom would have the Roman governor collect taxes at the time the people had money from the harvest. Oh, there you go midwinter when the sheep were kept indoors also does not allow december 25th to be the time when the shepherds watched their sheep by night fourth are all the goings on christians christians subscribe to really a nebulous spirit they call the christmas spirit and many praise as the workings of that spirit Kennedy's writing is very difficult to read. He has very many convoluted sentences. If that were the Spirit of God, as churches claim, would that Spirit cease to operate after the holiday period, as church people often demonstrate by their actions during the so-called holiday Spirit as well? The demonstrated has ceased? Yeah, they have to go outside into the cold weather again. In fact... The Christmas spirit seems to cause almost all to act in a manner that is totally out of line with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Just look at the the stories of people trying to buy gifts at department stores and getting into fights. Stores raise many prices, often pushing cheap and flimsy merchandise for gifts. Men exchange bottles or cases of whiskey, beer, and other mind-distorting and altering drugs. Employers give Christmas parties with free liquor, often with the tragic consequences in auto accidents or with illicit sex liaisons. Tens of thousands of families caught up in the so-called Christmas spirit overspend and lay an additional burden of debt upon themselves for months and even years afterwards until the next Black Thursday, anyhow, one does not have to be very bright to see that this is not the spirit of God at all. Fifth, in addition, untold millions of little children are deceived about the existence of a pagan creation called Santa Claus. Parents, who under most circumstances would severely punish their children for telling lies, blithely lie to these same children, And do it with a smile on their faces and joy in their hearts. This is completely contrary to the word of God. Well, obviously these parents don't realize that it's all a fraud. Most of them don't, anyway. Sixth, the only birthdays celebrated in the Bible were those of pagan kings. Seventh, historically... The Christian world did not commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ until the 5th century. Christians considered it to be a pagan practice to celebrate birthdays before the influence of Rome came into being. But later, when it encountered pagan practices, it to stamp stamped them out or adapted the festival rites to, to the false Christian faith. It adopted the statues portraying Isis and the child god Horus merely renaming them Mary and Jesus. This same system of assimilation gave rise to Christmas as we know it. Wherever the Christians went, they discovered that the latter half of December was the time of the winter solstice. When the days began to lengthen was the time when the sun god turned his path, in his path and started back to his people. It was Saturnalia. A time for licentiousness and revelry, drunkenness and se- sensual pleasures. The Ro- what else can you do in the middle of winter? The Romans marked the day by feasting with friends. There was a general exchange of presents, these being mostly wax dolls or tapers. Historically, Roman shops at this time resembled our town stores during the Christmas season. Christmas music is everywhere in that season, like sin and phone solicitation, right? Phone solicitation, can't get away from it. Several thousand times a day comes that insipid song about a white Christmas and something about a snowman. It's like the Chinese water torture. (laughs) Arnold, you're such a Grinch. It never stops. Ding, 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 a sleigh bells ringing. Does anyone at all want to keep on hearing it? And if if Jingle Bells is written by a Jew, or is it just that the retailers found that it stimulates the shopping gland? (laughs) It's probably in the pituitary. Store owners learned that like Pavlov's dog salivating at the sound of a bell, when we hear Mr. Frosty, we buy unneeded junk. It's Christmas. Buy a ham. Pork is an unclean food, biblically, and also one condemned violently by recent research. But then church people have no time for either view. So here he encourages us to opt out of Christmas. If anyone wants to be free from stress over the holiday period, they should opt right out of Christmas. Instead, they should give un and unBirthday gifts at other times of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, we're supposed to be generous to each other when needs arise, right? A great thing when one person loves another. It is all very well to talk about peace and goodwill to all mankind in just one part of the year only. What hypocrisy! Things that are false can never bring peace. Of course, you can deck the halls with boughs of holly, if you like, but do not expect me to join with you. It's supposed to be a time of joy and peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind. Yet, most adults seem to regard it as an immense nuisance or tension, and the single ones are often found to be depressed. Yeah, Christmas is one of the highest suicide uh, Christmas seasons is one of the most highest suicide eras in the year. Why? Because there are people who are left out. They get depressed. They feel lonely. Somehow, Christmas time has become, for many, a time to feel inner sadness because they don't have the warmth and love that most other people seem to have, but probably don't have either. The suicide rate goes up, and everyone seems so glad when the Christmas week is over. Yeah, the the stress. The stress of Christmas shopping is unbelievable. Of course, we hear enough about the matrimonial disharmony that is the consequence of credit card debt. One lot of people who rejoice after the Christmas holidays are the repossession agents by which he means the Jews, no doubt. The problem, of course, he wrote this for a newspaper in New Zealand, so he has to be careful what he says. The problem with churches is in their humanism. Without realizing it, most churches today have fallen to the ways of humanism, and biblically, the humanistic mind is in a sharp adversary state against the ways of God there can be no excuse for the modern position of the churches as they may speak against humanism when they're actually practicing humanism themselves. Excuse me for a moment. I've got to wet my whistle. Oh, excuse me. choking on that Christmas cookie that I just had. <laughs> just kidding, folks. All right, so let's continue. Okay, so humanism. Absolutely, humanism and, and of course, their humanism lasts all year round. But if we can blame the Catholic Church primarily for all of this pagan ritual because they're the ones who merged paganism with emerging Christianity in those days. Let me repeat this last sentence. There can be no excuse for the modern position of the churches as they may speak against humanism when they are actually practicing humanism themselves. Jesus said his disciples were to be a salt and light in the community. But why do the churches not speak out upon the issues of the day as salt and light? Salt gives taste, and light makes things easier to see. Could we possibly say that the churches have any effect upon society at large today? I'm sure he means positive effect. It is because churches and governments are in mutual agreement in promoting a program of humanism and, of course, materialism. They they agree together about the law of man rather than the law of God. The churches in general subscribe to a social gospel that does not relate to the law of God or the kingdom of heaven. It is very evident that society does not have much respect for church people of any flavor, including the ones who are leaving the churches in droves. Within the church environment, there is little gravity or trace of the expressiveness and wisdom Jesus presented as he walked amongst men. There is nothing attractive in the formal conservative churches, nor is there favor in the sight of society and the clap-happy lot. Consider why. It is because humanism is operating in the churches outside what the New Testament terms the commandments of God. Churches actually teach that these commandments are done away with, and in this they declare their humanism. Churches may quote words and then replace the law of God with church dogma, church standards, and, or pagan, pagan observances. One of the latter is Christmas. End of article. Okay, so Grinch Kennedy has spoken. <laughs> but all his words are true because Christmas began as a pagan holiday, incorporated into Catholicism, and later on, uh, as I have stated many times, the, the Protestant churches did not even adopt it until the mid-1800s. They regarded Christmas as a pagan holiday as well. So it simply is not true that Christmas has always been a Christian holiday. It's, it's simply not true. It has been a Catholic holiday. But how can you consider the merging of Christianity with paganism in any way Christian. You can't. That is the the nuts and bolts of the situation, folks. That is the absolute nuts and bolts of the situation. So, that uh, essentially concludes my study here of Christmas because uh, we have done many sermons on this, usually around Christmas time every year. And I'm going to now switch to a study of our people, the sons of Isaac, Anglo-Sax- Anglo-Saxons. This is from Historum, which is commentaries from people, and we know that uh, there's varying opinions about this. <laughs> I'm looking at a question what's the history of the Anglo-Saxons being the angelic sons of Isaac? I've read about the Anglo-Saxons being part of the lost tribe of Israel. Don't know how much accuracy that has, but I'm wondering what you guys think. So this is, what is this forum? Historium.com, okay. (laughs) And, And M9 Powell says, yay, they look real Jewish. As far as angelic looking goes, I'd say again, yay, but you have to realize most English-speaking people's visual mental image of an angel is really a Valkyrie. There's your paganism again. Okay. There's your your paganism again. Another person says, literally everyone in Eurasia has been said to be one of the ten tribes at some point. It's a favorite pseudo-history topic that hasn't produced any authentic evidence, even though it's been around 200 years. Well, it's been around longer than that. It's been around for 2,700 years. Okay? This uh, person simply hasn't studied it. Okay. And here's an interesting comment. If they were, they had certainly forgotten about being begotten by Isaac by the time their invasion of Britain. Actually, that's not true. Because... In Celtic Britain, their records show that they're descendants of Isaac, that they're descendants of Israelites. Those records still exist, but they've been suppressed. A lot of them claim descent from Thor and Odin, though. Ethel Wolf, Beowulf, Horsa, and Hengist sound a lot like Hebrew also. Well, they were. They were Hebrews, and actually those are variations of Hebrew words, and Odin was a descendant of Judah, (laughs) okay? So, that's interesting. So, this is the state of the subject amongst people of no faith. (laughs) No, No faith whatsoever. Okay, and what the Bible says about Isaac's sons. Let's see what we have here. And of course, the Anglo-Saxons practiced Christmas because they were so paganized. So, because Yahweh expelled the ten northern tribes into Europe with their pagan practices, including... The uh, Christmas tree practices, Jeremiah says, you shouldn't put tinsel on a Christmas tree, right? And you shouldn't be dancing and glorifying around that Christmas tree. That's a pagan, that's a pagan tradition. O tan and baum. o tan and etc., etc., okay? So, again, this goes to show what Kennedy and the previous author were saying was you know, the vast majority of people are ignorant of true history, Okay, so what the Bible says about Isaac's sons, and this is from Bible Tools. And here, let me put this in the chat room, because now we're doing dealing with real scripture, and of course, we shouldn't do that. <laughs> that's that's verboten. You know, you should uh, you should engage in dogma, not real tra- uh, biblical tradition. But this is where the world is at, folks. We are are dealing with a materialistic world. (laughs) Okay. Mr. Smith put a... I think that's... Well, it's a black man with a Santa suit. He does know when you're sleeping. If you're not laughing at his jokes... (laughs) I think it's Bill Cosby. And he knows you're sleeping... So we need to uh, we need to wake up, folks. We need to wake up to who we are. So let's, this is from Forerunner Commentary, Genesis 21:12. Now this is not an identity site. This is Bible Tools, and they they, they should so some aware, show some awareness. Of who Isaac's sons were after the breakup of the two houses, but they probably don't. Let's see. Oh, actually, they do. I'm just looking down, okay, this may be a good article. Genesis 21:12. Genesis contains two significant prophecies about the name of the Israelite peoples. In the first, Genesis 21:12. God tells Abraham to send Ishmael and his mother away, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Paul repeats this twice in the New Testament, Romans 9, 7, and Hebrews 11:18. Actually, that's very interesting. Uh, it's been a while since I've visited those chapters. Let's see what Romans 9, 7 actually says here. Oh, yeah, I think this is the chapter where where he condemns the Edomites. Yes, Romans 9, 7. Uh, Let me back up to verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he's saying, well, Abraham had other children, didn't he? He had Ishmael uh, through Hagar. And he had many other sons through Keturah. None of those are Saxons. They're white. They're Shemites. They're Hebrews. But they're not Saxons. Very good. He's very correct about that. So let's continue with this article. It's it's rare to find a Judeo-Christian ever mentioning these things. On the surface, this seems to mean that God would consider Isaac's progeny to be the true sons of Abraham. And this is true. But it means so much more. It also means that Israel would call itself by the name of Isaac in later times. Can you believe it? The second prophecy concerns Jacob's blessing on the sons of Joseph. In his prayer he asks God to bless the lads. Let my name be upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac Genesis forty eight sixteen. This confirms God's word to Abraham, only this time it is specifically directed toward the birthright tribes of Abraham or I'm sorry, Ephraim and Manasseh. The descendants of Joseph would bear the names of the patriarchs, particularly Isaac. Amos, written less than a half century before Israel fell, uses the name Isaac twice to refer to Israel. Quote, The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. Now therefore, hear the word of Yahweh. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac, Amos 7, 9, and 16. Very good. Israel may have already been calling itself the house of Isaac, or the sons of Isaac, even before their overthrow and captivity. After Assyria fell, ancient records tell of a new people living around the shores of the Caspian Sea. These people were variously known as the Sakai, Sakai, Sageti, Saki, Skiths, Skiffians, Scooths, Scutes, and Scots. In his book The Tribes, Yair Davidi, who is a Jewish author, by the way, states Sake was the contemporary Middle Eastern term for Skith, and the name is believed to be a derivative of Isaac. The appellation Saxa, or Saxon, is a further development of the same name. So the province of Saxa-Coburg, from which Queen Victoria comes, is that place. Sharon Turner, author of History of the Anglo-Saxons, agrees, quote, Sakasuna, or the Sons of Sakai abbreviated into Saxon, which is the same sound as Saxon, Seems a reasonable etymology of the word Saxon. Page 87. It takes no great leap of reason to conclude that Saxons is a corrupted form of Isaac's sons. Where do we find the Anglo-Saxon peoples living in these last days? In the very same place the Bible tells us Israel would be. Northwestern Europe and its colonies. Here we are. This is by Richard T. Rittenbaugh. Who I've always, you know, I've I've referenced his work in the past. I've never considered him to be Christian identity. He has always been, in my mind, a Judeo-Christian. But this is, (laughs) this is good, folks. Yeah, Bill Cosby put women to sleep and molested them. That is correct. All right next Genesis 25 verses 22 to 23 all right so Abraham related topics Abraham descendants of Anglo-Saxons identity of Israel, Isaac etc God put this in perspective for her I mean, just the word her comes out of nowhere who is her? Uh, not sure what this is. Or maybe he's speaking of Israel when he uses the word her. And these two little babies were the seeds of two great peoples who would become populous and powerful nations that would compete with each other for many generations to come. Maybe he's speaking of Tamar. The way this subject is introduced is just uh, without any intro here. When we consider that this contentious relationship has directly and adversely affected many nations throughout history, along with the resultant sufferings and deaths of millions of people, it is no laughing matter. Oh, he's talking about he's talking about Rebecca and her twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Okay, I should have looked up the verse. Sorry, my fault. I'll. I'll He's got a link to it here, uh, but uh, I'll have to scroll up to see it here. Okay, so, yeah, okay, he's talking about Rebekah and the two children within her womb, okay. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of, of Yahweh. And Yahweh said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And verse 24, And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them, and you you know the rest of the story. I don't think I need to go through the whole thing here. It goes down to verse thirty-four, and I'm only in verse twenty-four. So that's the story, and so that's and uh, there's no link right here. Uh, to you have to scroll up to find the link, and the very poor referencing here. By Mr. Rittenbaugh. Anyway, let's continue. Now that we know what he's talking about. <laughs> Alright. So he said, now that I read this, he says, When we consider that this contentious relationship has directly and adversely affected many nations throughout history, along with the resultant sufferings and deaths of millions of people, it is no laughing matter. You got that right, Mr. Rittenbaugh. Because that's a continuation of the enmity of Genesis 3.15 with the international Jew being the Edomites and we Anglo-Saxons being the children of Jacob. Absolutely. So that is a superbly accurate way of putting it. Next next, uh, paragraph here. Notice that in his explanation, God predicted who would ultimately prove dominant, the younger, whom we know as Jacob or Israel. The Apostle Paul comments on this in Romans 9, verses 10 through 13, where he says, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, our father Isaac, for the children had not yet been born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls." It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, it's very interesting because in Paul's time, the tables were being turned in Judea against the house of Jacob in Judea, namely the Judahites and the Edomites who were then in power thanks to the Roman army, had usurped the kingdom of Judah and created a, how should I put this? They were the go-betweens between the Romans and the Judahites. And they were using their fake religion called Judaism to control the people of Judah. But even then, even there, the Judahites understood that these Edomites were not their kinsmen, were not their brethren, had no right to rule over them. And so the true Judahites in those days were constantly trying to get rid of Herod and the Edomite Sanhedrin, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's see if Mr. Rittenbaugh recognizes. so and that fulfills the prophecy in in part, where Isaac says to Esau, after he refuses to give Esau a blessing. He tells Esau, their day is coming when you will have dominion over your brother Jacob. The, The absolute fulfillment of that was when the Rothschilds took over Europe with their banking activities right after the Battle of Waterloo. But there was a partial fulfillment for the tribe of Judah in Judea when the Edomites took over Judea and ruled over the Judahites and actually put our Savior to death. Mr. Rittenbaugh continues, The apostle uses this situation to illustrate that God's choice, or election, is based entirely on his grace, not on any kind of human merit. The human, well, this this is a pre-selection. It's really obvious that Jacob had a lot of merit, and Esau had none. Okay? the human reasons often advanced for the ongoing strife between the descendants of Esau and Jacob are therefore groundless. Well, he's he's obviously preaching a faith-only, grace-only message here. No, the fact is that the Edomites are evil people. Not that our people are always saints, but at least our people try to obey the law. They try to be good neighbors and good people, and they're productive people. They're not destroyers like the Jews are. So he continues, as God for his own purposes has chosen to show favor to the nations of Israel and not to Edom. However, despite their being denied national greatness, Esau's descendants are not without hope of salvation, so he claims. He hasn't read the condemnations of Edom in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Though they must swallow their pride and admit that salvation is of the Jews. No, it isn't. It's of Judah. <laughs> right? Through the Messiah who descends from Judah. There you go. You got that right. Through Judah, not the Jews. Son of Jacob. Okay. So, yeah, I was I was being too kind to Mr. Rittenbaugh earlier. All right. Now Genesis 25:21 through 23 It's the same it's the same uh, verses I just quoted above so anyway we know the context now He continues here but backing up to verse 21 God's revelation to Rebekah regarding the struggling twins is that two kinds or types of people were in her womb. They were definitely not identical twins. The word manner, as used in the King James Version, indicates the reason for their rivalry. They were so different despite having the same parents. Their struggling in Rebecca's womb was a precursor of what continued after their birth, which significantly influenced the history of Isaac's descendants. Each son's approach toward a manner of life irritated the other. Each rubbed the other the wrong way. Rebecca seems naturally drawn to Jacob and Isaac, to Esau, exacerbating an already volatile situation. Thus, each boy became a victim of the parents' favoritism, and was encouraged to take advantage of it. So, yeah, well, that's very, it's very simplistic. The fact is that Esau was so evil, and if you continue reading the story where Esau despised his birthright and married outside of his race, which no Judeo Christian was to touch that subject, we know the, the truth of the matter. And so more he has more to say about this. Women who have carried a child can relate to morning sickness and fetal movements. But what Rebecca experienced with these two fetuses engaging in wrestling matches in her womb is probably beyond our comprehension. I'll bet other women have experienced this. I'll bet they have. Having an upset stomach or being somewhat queasy just does not compare with the abnormal amount of jostling and grappling the unborn brothers were doing. It grabbed her attention. Absolutely. So we see, folks, that These are two different manner of people, even though Isaac was the father of both and Rebecca was the father of both. Every family I know of has children whose personalities are very different from one another and sometimes radically opposite to one another. It happens all the time. I know, I know several people personally whose siblings uh, are just absolute monsters to get along with. And it's not just, you know, uh, like pleasantries or, you know, we're having fun shadow boxing and that sort of stuff. Where, and then one guy accidentally hits his brother in the eye and then they start wrestling and start pounding on each other. That happens too. But you can have a sibling who's just plain evil. It happens all the time, you know. They call it a bad seed, and uh, it happens even within our race, and that's apparently what happened to with Jacob and Esau. Okay, so but uh, he at least written by establishes that he has some uh, gra- uh, some comprehension of what the Bible is saying about these two these two sons. Okay, so. And we've already selected for tomorrow's show this article here, of which I'll just read a little bit about it uh, to encourage people to listen to tomorrow's Bloodline show, and I'll put this in the chat room as well. This is The Origin of the Saxons by Raymond F. McNair. And if you, yeah, right. We we, we need, uh, we want a gender neutral Santa now. Yeah, how about a how about a transgender uh, pedophile Santa would network just fine today, right? Right, and uh, yeah, oh yeah. The uh, the powers that be are really trying to eliminate. Gender from everything. I guess they're probably selling gender neutral. Oh, what what was baby? Was the baby Jesus a boy or a girl, or was he a a transgender critter? You know, of course, this is getting ridiculous, and more and more people are beginning to realize it's just gotten ridiculous. When will the Christians realize it's getting so ridiculous that it must be fought against? They're very slow to pick up on this. Okay? That's why we're here, is to hopefully awaken them to what's really going on. So uh, so let's continue. And so this article about the hope of the from the hope of Israel is talking about the Anglo-Saxons and our relationship to them. And this is Hope of Israel origin of the Saxons. Many simply cannot believe the plain records of the ancient peoples who came to the British Isles. They just can't seem to believe that these peoples could really have been descendants of Shem, right? As I was reading from that forum, the uh, pagan ones can't believe that they're descendants of Shem, but they are. We shall notice the same tendency of critics of early Scotch-Irish history they think the early history, which they call folklore, of these peoples cannot be true when it connects such peoples directly with the lands and peoples mentioned in the Bible. However, Alfred the Great, who was himself a Saxon, son of Isaac, traced his genealogy right back to Shem, S-E-M, or Shem, and on back to Adam. How about them apples, folks? Okay. That's the introductory paragraph to this article, The Origin of the Saxons, by Raymond F. McNair, which Michael and I will be discussing tomorrow on Bloodlines. So, and we're going to be going through the origin of this teaching, and plus the fact that with the marks of Israel in mind, we Anglo-Saxons would forget who we are and not begin to realize it again who we are until the latter days. This cannot be said of the Jews, who have always claimed to be Israel, or Judah, or both. So they never had the amnesia that our people have had. And of course, the Jews are responsible for a lot of this amnesia by suppressing the works of historical scholars who know and have stated that we Anglo-Saxons... Are the sons of Isaac and the children of Israel as well? Okay, so this has knowledge has been suppressed, and because the Jews have suppressed it, our people have also forgotten it. So this is actually a fairly recent—I'd say the last 150 years—is the time when our people began to have this amnesia in a great in a great manner. All right, so we will discuss this, this amnesia and the fact that we, the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, and Caucasian people of the world, are the true Israelites and the Saxons, We're dating all the way back to Saxon, Isaac, our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, and that's going to be a great show, so I hope you can all tune in and listen to that. So, I'm going to cl- conclude tonight's show on this point. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition, and... Take care, be safe, stay warm, and please don't freeze. (laughs) Okay, it's still very cold in these parts. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. 1A and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.